that is our heart's beat, that we will use every fleeting breath in our life for him. Uh, if you take your Bibles and join me in turning to Genesis chapter 1, one of the few times we get to see Genesis and Revelation in the same message, and, and it, it won't take that long. Okay, I promise. You know, you guys... Nap time is now. Okay. Also, take the take that half sheet, and uh, if you're wondering which side is the front, it's the one that has Psalms 46 at the top. Okay. That'll be that'll be our first passage that we'll look at uh, on the sheet. But um, Genesis chapter one is where we'll uh, where we'll start. So the title of the message: Don't wait. There's more. Uh, this is kind of a playoff. If you've ever seen any of those infomercials or you know they're selling the knives that cut through metal and tomatoes and things like that and 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 after they've shown you how amazing this thing is they say but wait there's more if you order in the next 60 seconds we're going to do you know they're going to give you twice as many or something like that right so they, they, they want you to hey hey don't don't run away there's more right and, and so the the title for us though is not but wait there's more it's don't wait there's more is there's more to life than these things that, that we see in Luke 12 that he's talking about. You know, he says that, hey, the birds, they don't have to work. They don't have to build these storehouses. They don't have to build barns, and yet God feeds them. And he says, but your life is more than your food. And those plants, those flowers, the lilies, you know, they don't work. They don't sow. They don't do anything like that. And yet God clothes them in a special way. And, and he says, and God cares more about you. All right, so the, the point is there, there is more to it. What is the more? And, and based on the passage we just read that, that follows after that, he's telling us, hey, if you don't, if you don't catch on to what life is about, you, you might be in for a severe beating. Right? So there's, there's, a, there's a great caution involved in this, and, and a great deal of that passage is telling us, don't be anxious about this, don't be anxious about that, don't worry about this, but fear God. Right? And so, so what, he's, what he's telling us there in the end of that whole section is, is, hey, we have a task to do. And the task and, and what is involved in our life is a lot more than what's involved for the birds and the flowers. Right? We might read a text like what we read last week and go, hey, I wish I was a raven. I wish I didn't have to go, go to work. I wish I didn't have to you know, do all of this stuff. And yet God says he cares more for us than he cares for the ravens. And he gives us a greater responsibility. So we go back to Genesis 1. We see at the, the, the beginning because uh, the whole story of Scripture that's laid out for us in Romans 11.36 is that everything is from God. Everything is through God or sustained by God. Everything's going to God for his glory. And so whenever we talk about what is the purpose of this, what's the purpose of that, ultimately the purpose of everything is the glory of God. So when we talk about what is my purpose as a human being, it has to start with the glory of God. Now, how is God glorified through us as humans? And, and what is that, how is that different from these other things, plants and, and birds and so forth? And so I, I wanted to spend some time and really kind of draw out from that, that section in Romans 11, where, or uh, Luke 11, where he says, it, there, there's more to life than this. Okay, well, what, what is there? What's this more? Right? And, and we could spend months talking about that. So I'm not, I'm not going to be exhaustive. We're going to look at one small sliver here that, that kind of does show us a nice contrast with what, uh, what we see going on in Luke 11. 
All right? So everything is created for God's glory, by God, for his glory. Everything is sustained by God for his glory. Everything is going to God for his glory. Therefore, we seek God's glory in everything we say, everything we do. Right? Like what we just sang, with our every fleeting breath, that it's for God. So we're looking at Genesis 1, the creation. And you notice uh, in verse 4, day 1, God creates the light. God saw the light that it was good. Thank you. Verse 10, he's referring to the dry land and the seas. God saw that it was good. Hey, I like this audience participation. Verse 12, he refers to the plants. Here's those lilies that he talks about in Luke. The lilies of the field. God, God looks at them and he says, it's good. In verse 18, referring to the sun and the moon, God saw that it was good. And, and verse 21, referring to sea and the, the birds, right? Like the ravens. God saw that it was good. And verse 25, referring to those land creatures, God saw that it was good. But in verse 18 of chapter 2, God saw something that was not good. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And we're probably all well aware that it's generally a dangerous thing to leave us guys alone, right? <laughs> we can get into a lot of trouble. That's not what he's talking about, right? When he says that all of these things are good, the, the birds are good, the flowers are good, the sun is good, all those things, he's not saying that they are free from sin, that they are morally good. He's saying that they accomplish their purpose. The birds do what birds are supposed to do. The flowers do what flowers are supposed to do. And, and, and Psalm 19 says the heavens declare what? The glory of God. And, and if you read those first four verses, you see it doesn't have any voice. Without words, it's declaring something about God. How does it do that? By accomplishing its purpose. The thing God designed it to do is very good. And by doing what it was designed to do, it brings glory to God and declares it. Okay, so we see birds declare glory of God. The flowers declare glory of God without having to build storehouses and barns and hunt for, you know, you know uh, so uh, food in the ground, things like that. Right? They don't have to do those things, but by being birds, by being flowers, by doing the thing God designed them to do, they declare God's glory. And so what we see, uh, again, from Psalm 19 is, is that goes out throughout all the earth. This glory that is, that is described, this good creation, is declaring this glory about God just by doing the things that God has designed it to do. And when we come to Romans 1, we find out, even though all of creation is declaring this glory, what does unrighteous man do? He suppresses that truth in his unrighteousness. So even though the, the evidence is clear, and Romans says they're without excuse, God has made himself well known through his creation. They suppress the truth. They push it down. And so how are, how are people who, are, who know the truth but are suppressing the truth, how do they come to Christ? Romans says they come when somebody proclaims it to them and proclaims it with words, specifically the word of Christ. That's something birds don't get to do. That's something flowers don't get to do. That's something the planets don't get to do. They display God's glory. They're showing his power. They're showing a lot of things about God. They don't say the name of Jesus. And so God has given us a very specific, special task to do. 
in order to carry out our purpose. And, and God says in chapter 2 of Genesis, therefore it is not good for the man, singular, to be alone. He needed help. And there, there's a lot of reason why he needed help. Now, is man supposed to work? Yes. Yes, we're supposed to work. Even before the fall, God gave Adam a job. And why does God give people work to do? Is it just to fill the time? I mean, there's several passages we could go to, but, but what we see in the first week of creation, what we see is God doing what? Working. And Jesus tells the Pharisees later on, they're, they're talking about the Sabbath. He says, hey, my father's been working since the beginning. I'm going to work too. Why is it that we work? Well, we were created differently from everything else. We were created in the image of God. Right here in chapter 1, he says, let us make man in our image. Verse, 20, uh, verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God, made, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So male and female were both created in the image of God. It's very distinct from the rest of creation. And one of the ways in which we reflect God's glory by being image bearers of him is to do the things that God does, like work. We glorify God in our work. We work as unto the Lord, not as unto men. And, and, and the point of the work is not just so that we can have an abundance of things, right? That's what we talked about last week. That's not the point of it. In fact, the, one of the reasons why we work, one of the main reasons why we work, is to glorify God by reflecting his good character, the way he does things, in a good way, in a good manner. We show that, hey, this is the way my God does things. This is the way I'm going to do things. I'm going to reflect God's glory by working the way he does. But in Ephesians 4, it tells us that the thief who comes to Christ should first of all stop stealing Right? That's the put off. Then he's supposed to allow his mind to be renewed with the truth about who God is and what Christ did. And then he's to put on the new man. And what does Paul say is the new man version of stealing? You put off stealing because God's not a thief. Right? That's, that's the whole thing of Ephesians 4. He's saying, hey, you can't follow Christ and be doing stuff that Christ doesn't do. Christ is not a thief, so you don't steal because that reflects the wrong image of God. That's not reflecting God at all. So you put off stealing. So what do you do? You, you put in its place the thing that is true about God. Labor. Labor. And giving. Thank you. So he says, stop stealing, put that off, and then get a job. Why? Not to fill time but so that you will have an abundance to give to him who has need. That's what God does. God takes from his riches to meet our need. And he says, hey, you're not showing that, you're not demonstrating that in a right fashion if you're stealing from somebody to enrich yourself. 
Rather, you should be working in such a way that you have enough to give to somebody who has a need and therefore you display, this is what my God does. From his riches, he gives to meet my needs. And I would like to show that to you by sharing with you. Right? We, still, we saw that happen first, first day of the church. At the day of Pentecost, the, the 120 or so, they're out proclaiming and 3,000 joined the church and some of them were rich and some of them were poor. And the rich said, hey, we can sell some of our property to help meet your needs. What are they displaying? The glory of God, the generosity of God, the way God uses what he has to help us in, meet our, in meeting our needs. Do the birds do that? No. No. Do flowers do that? No. Right? They display God's glory in one way. We display God's glory in a greater way. And we also get to share by, by declaring the truth. Now, so he goes through and he, he's, he's saying, hey, all these things are accomplishing their purpose. They're not bad. They are good. But then he distinctly makes people different from the rest of his creation, gives us work to do, so we reflect his character, but he also gives us authority, right? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, right? As God has authority, we who are in his image are, are also given authority. It's delegated responsibility. And we talked about stewardship last, last week, right? There's a stewardship, and there will be an accounting, and that will be a, a, way, a message way down the line. Okay, but there, will, there is an accountability that we have, that we stand before the judgment seat of God, and, and he judges us according to our works, judges us according to our words, judges us on how we endured temptation, how we endured hardship, things like that. And so there is an accounting coming, and he's looking for us to be faithful as he is faithful, but he puts us in a position of authority, delegates that to us. Now there's another task that he gives to man. He gives it to Adam and Eve, and then later he gives it to Noah and his family after the flood, and that's where this half sheet is really kind of coming in. All right, so if you look in chapter 1, verse 28, it says, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, so at first he puts them in the garden. But he says, but what you're doing here needs to be done all over the world. And what you're doing all over the world has a specific aim as well. It's not just that the trees will be taken care of. It's not just that the, the, the fish will be okay and the birds will be okay. There is something that we are supposed to do beyond just taking care of livestock, just taking care of the earth. And we see that really highlighted in, in some of these passages. Look at Psalm 46.10. It's the, the first passage there at the top. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth or in all the earth. So what he's saying is, yeah, there, there's, there's an essence, uh, a certain essence in the creation where God is revealing something about himself. And we need to learn about God from his creation, from his word, from his son. Right? We do need to learn about God. We then need to worship him based upon what we learn. Those are very true things. What we're focusing in on here, though, is here he's saying he needs to be exalted, lifted high. All right, now, can birds do that? Not really. 
They can do what they were designed to do. Can, can the planets do that? They can do that by showing what they were designed to do and reflecting that God is a great, powerful God, that he's very creative, that he, he does wonderful things and, and has established this wonderful creation. But here he says, among the nations in all the world, I, I desire to have my, the truth of who I am known so that I am exalted, so I am glorified. And we have this responsibility then of glorifying God and seeing that his name is glorified in all the earth, in, among all the nations. Now, the next three uh, passages we see there, we have prophets that are declaring this is going to happen. Right? Uh, look at the second half of Isaiah 11.9. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Likewise, Habakkuk. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Malachi. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. Last part. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So the prophets are saying, hey, this is not only a goal that we're shooting for. God's saying this is going to happen. And when we get to Revelation, this is on the second half of your Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, we know that God's plan is accomplished. Right? They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Chapter 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we, we see the end. God says, hey, it's going to happen. In the end, we see a vision of it. It's happening. How do we get from here to there? Right? Well, obviously, Adam and Eve, they did what God said, and Noah and his family, they did what God said, and, and everybody in, the whole, in, in all of the world praises God and glorifies his name, right? No, I mean, God commands Noah in chapter 9 of Genesis. What happens in chapter 11? God told Noah, hey, I want you to, to you and your kids have, have a bunch of other kids and spread out, fill the earth so that my name is glorified all around the earth. And you get to chapter 11 and people go, let's not go anywhere. Let's stay right here. Build this tower. Make a name for ourselves. Who cares about God's name? Let's make a name for ourselves. So God does what? He confounds their languages. Give, so that they're not able to understand each other. You go from speaking one language to not understanding it. You know, if, if, if in our context, like right now, we all started speaking some language other than English. You know, some of us are speaking, uh, you know, uh, Chinese. Some are speaking Japanese. Some, some are, are, are speaking Songo. Some are speaking uh, Tagalog. Some are, you know, we would be so confused. We, we would not be able to understand each other. And we probably wouldn't want to stay very close to each other. Let's just, let's go find other people that talk the way we talk. And so they spread out. But are they glorifying God's name in that? Not yet. But we know from Revelation, it's going to happen. So how does it happen? 
Well, God's going to reveal himself in such great ways through himself, through his power, through his miracles, through his providence, through his word, through his son, through his prophets, through his people, so that the name does get exalted. And we see little snippets of it. I, I, sorry, I had to flip over. Flip back to the front of the sheet. Right, look, at, uh, look at Romans 9.17. The scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So what does God do? He hardens Pharaoh's heart. And displays through these awesome miracles, these, these you know, hideous plagues, but, but then the, 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 the crossing of the Red Sea. And what happens with all of that? And what happens hundreds of years later, people are still talking about the God of Israel that, that defeated Pharaoh. The God of, of Israel who made the, the Red Sea part. Right? And over a thousand years later, here's Paul talking about it. Going, hey, you remember that guy Pharaoh that God judged? Let's talk about him. Why did God even let him be Pharaoh? Well, he tells us, so that God's power would be made known and so that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. That's been the plan all along. How is he doing it? He did it through a guy named Pharaoh and a guy named Moses. Moses is proclaiming the truth about God. Pharaoh is, is, is forsaking it, rejecting it, suppressing the truth in his unrighteousness. And God displays his power in such a way that people are still talking about it hundreds and thousands of years later through one example, one person. What about Daniel, chapter 6? Right? Darius makes this decree, can't pray to anybody but me. My gods, don't, don't pray to any other gods. Daniel prays anyway, gets thrown into the lions. What's the aftermath? Chapter 6, verse 25 and 26. King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I, made to, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. And Daniel, very next chapter, has these visions, these dreams. He says, There came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Now, how, how does that come about? We got Daniel and his friends being faithful to what God has called them to do, proclaiming the truth, refusing to, to give in. When everybody around them is pressuring them. No, become like this world. Be like us. Eat this food. Drink this wine. Worship our gods. And Daniel and his friends take a stand. They do what they're supposed to do. They proclaim the truth. They don't give in. And next thing you know, the king is saying, there's no God like this. And make sure... Everybody in all, all the places that we have dominion over, all of these nations, all these people speaking different languages, make sure they hear it in their language. This is the true God. And Daniel says, there's, there's somebody great coming. And he doesn't know the name Jesus, but he says, hey, there's one coming. Son of man is coming. 
And he's going to have this everlasting kingdom. Again, we know how it ends because of Revelation. Daniel didn't know that. He's seeing a dream, he's seeing a vision, and he said, hey, if God's saying it, it's, it's true. So therefore, I believe it. But how does this happen? Well, it happened when Moses spoke the truth, didn't give in. It happened when Daniel spoke the truth, didn't give in. What about us? Now, I hope we don't get carried off to Babylon. <laughs> you know, I, I would not enjoy that a whole lot. I don't want to necessarily end up, you know, as a slave in Egypt. But maybe God is putting us in a different type of scenario, very much like that, where we have the opportunity to speak the truth. And that's the means by which God's seeking to accomplish that. Towards the end of our handout, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, we know this. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is not just send money to the missionaries, but this is we are called to make disciples of all the nations. And thankfully, many of the nations have come to us. But we are also responsible to those who are of our own nation. This is a nation that needs to declare the glory of God. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Right? Again, all part of the same plan. And this is a purpose that sets us apart from all the rest of God's creation is that we are to take the truth that we know and put it in language, using the language that God has given us and sharing that truth with people to the end of the earth. You say, but I'm nervous, I'm shy. Yeah, I get it, me too. But he says, it's not your power. The Holy Spirit's the one who gives you the power. It's the power of the word. It's not you. In the last passage that we see there, 2 Corinthians 2, he's, he's thanking God because it's by Christ's power. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. God working in us, the Holy Spirit working in us, the power of Jesus Christ leading us in triumph. And what do we do? We, we share the truth of the knowledge of him everywhere. Which includes Westerville, and Columbus, and Gahanna, and, and all of the cities around here, right? We spread the truth of him everywhere. This is, this is the grand purpose that God has, has caused us to be made in his image to do. To lift high his name and proclaim that everywhere. That, and it's not the only part of our life. But when we read in Luke 12, he says, hey, there's more to life than storing up possessions. There, there's a way for you to lay up treasure in heaven. We don't have to look too far in the Bible to find one aspect of how we accomplish that exact purpose. And that is to learn what we can about God and spread that truth everywhere we go. Spread that truth with the people we come in contact with, the, the people that we know. Pastor mentioned, you know, if you asked your neighbor or your, your unsaved relatives, who is Jesus? 
What would you tell them if they turned the question right back around on you? Well, who do you say Jesus is? Hopefully they would ask that. But how would you answer? And, and, and that's what we're called to do. To learn about Christ. To worship Christ. And to spread the truth of him everywhere. So that as has been told and as we realize will happen, there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne of God praising him for all of eternity. All the nations proclaiming the truth about Christ. And we get to be a part of that as we spread the truth of him everywhere. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you have called us into this wonderful task. We thank you for the great name of Jesus. We're thankful for his work on our behalf. And we thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit who, who graciously does that ministry in us to teach us the truth, to teach us the significance of the truth, to give us boldness. And we're thankful for the victory that we have in Jesus as we share the truth of him everywhere. It will accomplish its purpose. And we are thankful for the realization and the revelation that, that your purpose is ultimately going to be fulfilled for all of eternity. And so we can have great confidence as we proclaim the truth of you and the truth of your son. We can have great confidence that what we're saying will come to pass. So help us to be faithful and diligent. As we wait for your return, help us not to wait to do this purpose that you've called us to. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.